Amen. Let's take our Bibles, please. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 this morning. Children, you are dismissed quietly. Let's walk. Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> 31 years ago this past May, I stood up with my friend Ron Hand in his wedding to Teresa. And uh, Ron, after that, went back to his home in Florida, Inglewood, Florida. And there he was a youth pastor for a few years. And then he took a church, a Baptist church in Rincon. Is that Brother, Brother Roberts? Am I saying that right? Rincon, Georgia? Rincon, is that how you say it? R-I-N-C-O-N. As a matter of fact, it's the same church that Bill and Joanne have on their prayer letter as their sending church today. So I don't know if they ever crossed paths with Ron or not. He was the pastor there at one time, and then he pastored a church in Mesquite, Texas. And so just such a small world. I was talking to Brother Dom. I said, you know... This church, a friend of mine used to pastor it, and, and uh, their daughter, Brooke, as a matter of fact, Ron and Teresa's daughter, Brooke, uh, went to Bible college with my niece, Paige, and so our paths just keep crossing over the years. We got to have lunch with them a few years ago when we were in Florida. We called them and met them for lunch after church and, and had some catching up to do and some fellowship, but pray for that family. A difficult time for them, of course, uh, going home of their dad and husband at 52 years of age. Well, Genesis chapter 1 while I was away, I began to just read and pray and kind of started over in the Bible. And I, the Lord just laid this thought on my heart and my mind. And I wondered, and you got to be careful about that. Sometimes you get an idea and you say, well, I'm going to preach that. That sounds like a good idea. But if it's not in the Bible, you're in trouble. But the Lord put a thought in my heart and I thought, well, I'm going to see what the Bible says about that. And I began to explore it a little bit. And, I, and I've, I've titled this, it's going to be a series, if you would, The Battle of the Ages. The Battle of the Ages. Now, this morning, I'm just going to introduce it. We're going to give you all five messages, all five titles, if you will. And then the next five Sunday nights through Labor Day, I'll preach on Sunday night, if the Lord will let me uh, continue with that, with each one of these uh, messages that I'll give you this morning, all right? So we'll start tonight, and we'll go right on through the Battle of the Ages. Next Sunday morning, Lord willing, we'll be back in the book of Mark and continuing our, our quest about speaking Jesus and learning more about Christ that we might be able to profess him properly in our lives. And so Mark, will be back in Mark chapter 11, I believe it is, next week. Uh, but for this morning, I want to introduce this evening, uh, just in case it, it piques somebody's interest. and say, well, I don't normally come evenings, but I'd like to maybe hear more about this, the battle of the ages. And I should say, just before we get into it, while you're finding your... Everybody's found Genesis 1-1, right? I mean, that's not hard. You just open the front cover and there you are. Last Sunday... Uh, we were, in, of course, in Saskatchewan, and thank you for uh, your prayers as we traveled. We had a wonderful time, and, and uh, we went out through the United States. We wanted to get there kind of quickly. Uh, our, daughter had, our daughter-in-law had been in labor Sunday, as we had announced, and had the baby about 5.30 our time, 3.30 their time, on Monday morning. And so we, we traveled Monday all day, Tuesday, and we got there Wednesday afternoon, and uh, enjoyed. We went right through Bredenbury, Saskatchewan, and on the water tower it says the home of Laura Lee Roberts. Isn't that, isn't that something? Yeah, incredible. And so we enjoyed seeing that. And then, of course, we stopped in the Sioux on the way home, and everybody asked me if I knew Brother Roberts. And so, I mean, if, if I'd known they're famous, I'd have hired them a long time ago. But anyway, we had a wonderful trip going out. But let me say this coming home, we've always wanted to do through Canada. 
And so we went through Thunder Bay and Kenora. Kenora is one of the most beautiful cities you'll ever see. The deer were walking right up to us in the park, and just incredible. And uh, a man was there, and he says, the deer are less afraid of you than they are the wolves out in the, and the timber wolves out in the forest. So he says, they'll come up to you. And he says, if you have a cookie, they'll take it out of your hand. And just a beautiful place right on the Lake of the Woods there. And, and uh, I just wanted to say that God's creation is magnificent. And if you ever get a chance to see what God has, I can't, I couldn't, my thoughts kept saying this, how can anybody deny the existence of God when they see what he has created and all the waterfalls and the lakes and the, the oceans and, and the things that God has done for us, just wonderful and beautiful. Last Sunday morning, there's only two churches in Waka, Saskatchewan. And uh, Waka, Saskatchewan is just a small little town of 900 people and there's an RCMP outpost there. And that's where our son works. And, and so uh, there's a, a Roman Catholic church. And uh, the thing that we were surprised about is no Anglican church. As you travel across Canada, it was the Anglican church's goal at one time to have a church in every town because there was the Church of England. And uh, so there was a Roman Catholic church, Ukrainian Catholic, and then there was also a, uh, a Bible church, Faith Community Chapel, it was called. Faith Community Chapel. And we didn't have anywhere else to go, and so we went to Faith Community Chapel. And we got there, and uh, there was a fellow that stood up at the front, and his nose just got over the pulpit. He was only about that tall. And he had a Salvation Army outfit on. And let me tell you, we had the sweetest service we didn't know what to expect. We've never been in any other, we've always been in Baptist churches our whole lives. And I'm not here to endorse everything. I'm not an ecumenicalist. Just please don't go there. But when, when we're out in the prairies and you find a church, and man, they sang the old hymns with heart. There was 45 people in the auditorium and every single one of them shook our hands and thanked us for coming. The preacher got up and with passion and tears running down his face, preached about who we are in Christ Jesus. And we left thinking, wow. The Lord used that man today. What a blessing it was. He says, I came here three years ago to fill the pulpit for two weeks for the pastor that was on vacation, and I'm still here. He says, he never came back. He said, I've been here for three years, the longest two weeks of my life. And, but we were just pleasantly surprised that the gospel was being preached and thrilled to hear, and, and just our spirits were moved and challenged and encouraged, and so uh, it was just a wonderful blessing. And, and by the way, I, I don't know much about Salvation Army. I, I know this, they still preach the blood. That little S that they have on their shoulder, it says the book, the blood, and the blessed hope right on it. We used to have a fellow come to our church in Stony Creek named Bram Spurl. Bram Spurl was a higher up in the Salvation Army and he'd go to his church in the morning, he'd come to ours every single Sunday night, him and his wife, Shirley. And uh, Bram just passed away and was buried from Cooper's funeral home just a few weeks ago. I saw his announcement in the paper, and, and I, I enjoyed having them come because they were cheerleaders. They'd shout, man. They'd get excited whenever you said the blood. And uh, uh, just, just pray for our family out there. And, and like I say, church is very limited, but uh, they said, try this church, and we went, all of us went there, and and uh, we were pleasantly surprised and thankful that there's a church preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I got thinking about this thought. When did the battle of the ages begin? How many of you know we're in a battle right now? The Bible uses all kinds of verses like, put on the whole armor of God. 
Stand ye therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the gospel, the preparation of peace and having the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit and taking above all the shield of faith. And it talks about that military equipment. The Bible says that we are to be, the apostle Paul says, good soldiers of Jesus Christ. The Bible says we are to earnestly contend for the faith. And if we are looking through the word of God, we will find over and over again Hints and reminders that we are in a constant spiritual battle. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Uh, And so there's wickedness in high places, the Bible says, and therefore we must have on the armor of God. We are in a spiritual battle. But when did it begin? Some might say, well, it began in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. And he, of course, we know that he came to Eve and, and spoke to her from that tree of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. The Bible says he was subtle and he, he said to her, Yea, hath God said, and challenged the word of God. But as I was reading the Bible to get the context of that very passage of Scripture, I want to suggest to you today that the battle started even sooner than that. It starts with the very first line in the Word of God. And I think you'll see this morning that there are five things, five challenges that we find, things that Satan is attacking on a daily basis. And and, I mean, it's not hard to connect the dots. We will see it very plainly today in the society we live in, in present day Simcoe, Ontario, that Satan is opposed to these five things. And there are five things that God gave us in the very beginning. Look, if you will, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God. That's it. That's the first challenge of the devil, isn't it? Let's, if we can, erase all thoughts of God from society. Let's remove it from the man, a man's hearts and minds, and let's remove it from every edifice that man has ever created. Let's attack the very concept of God. Let's have a word of prayer this morning before we begin. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray you would help us through this sermon series, Lord. And this morning, it's just going to serve as introduction, to give these five points of attack that the devil has come against us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as Christians to take these messages and help us to understand that it is a call to prepare our hearts. It is a call to be earnestly contending for the faith. It is a call to put on the whole armor of God. And so, Lord, I pray that this Holy Spirit of God would speak to us now. Help me, I pray. I need your help. And I ask that you might fill me. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at Genesis 1.1 again. We're just going to read, and I'm, I'm just going to jump through, and we'll read these passages of Scripture that will help us understand the points of attack of Satan. The Bible says, in the beginning, God... You know, the author of Genesis never tries to prove God. He just gives the assumption that he exists. You see, Moses had written the first five books of the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he never had a reason to doubt God. When God came to him later in his life and began to inspire his heart to put pen to paper and to write out those five books of the Bible to give us the law and to give us the history of creation, never in Moses' mind did he think for a moment, well, I have to set out to prove God. 
Because for 40 years of his life, he'd experienced the hand of an almighty God as he moved the Israelites through the wilderness, as he provided bread for millions of people day after day, as he furnished water from a rock, as he saw the miracles in the place called Egypt, as he freed God's people, as he spoke to him on mountain, gave him the laws of God. Moses never for a moment doubted who God was. So he simply says this, in the beginning God. It's an assumption made in scripture that so many doubt today. The Bible begins with this assumption and the Bible says this in Psalm chapter 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We go from Genesis to the time of David when the psalmist writes, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What David was observing in his society, there's actually some people that believe that God doesn't exist. They believe there is no such thing as God. And just the space of 2,500 years, the, the miracles of Egypt had been forgotten. And more recently, we see the, the works of Elijah, and we see the works of the other prophets, and we see the miracles that took place in Israel, but the people that had spread out throughout the earth had forgotten about God. And David says, the fool, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. In Psalm chapter 14, I believe that this is the very first attack that we find in the Word of God. It is subtle, it is layered, and yet it is the final goal of Satan. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. Let me show that to you this morning, if I could. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we know... Inside out and backwards, pretty much. But look what it says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, hath, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 21 is so key to what is going on in our world today. There are those that claim the name of Christ, and there are those that say, I, I believe there, there's a God that exists. But the Bible says their foolish heart is darkened, and they elevate themselves to the place of Godhood. It says in, in verse uh, uh, 21, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. How many times has God moved in our midst and in our hearts and our lives and we didn't even take the moment to thank him? To God, I give you praise for saving that soul. And God, I want to glorify you today for the work you're doing in my family. God, I want to praise you for meeting that need. And the Bible says it just starts so simply is that even though they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So how do we do that? So I'm a self-made man. 
I got here through sheer determination and hard work. Listen, I'm not saying determination and hard work are not important in society. We could use a little bit more of that. But we need to turn to Almighty God and give him thanks for his blessings and and know that he has placed us in these positions and and he has elevated our status and he has helped us along the way. And I'm so thankful that God has blessed us with so much. The Bible says when we fail to thank him, we become vain in our imaginations and our foolish hearts are darkened and we profess ourselves to be wise, but we become fools. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them over to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. See how sin takes over. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Listen to this. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, mission accomplished. That was Satan's goal right from the beginning. God says, in the beginning, God. And Satan says, there will come a day where they won't even want to think about you in their mind. They don't want to retain you in their knowledge. Satan's first point of attack is, let's erase all thoughts of God. While we were coming home, we traveled as far as Sault Ste. Marie, and then we cut through Upper Michigan to come home. And I, I prefer driving through the lakes and the trees than I do the concrete jungle of Toronto. And so we went through, and plus there's a cracker barrel. I don't know if you knew that. And so we drove through there. And the things that began to move me as I began to see things in the United States and, and how God had blessed them. And, and I'm listening to the radio, and we're just kind of surfing around, talk radio, and listen to different things. And we learned that, I believe it's Alabama that just reinstated that it's going to say, in God we trust, in all their public buildings again. Amen. And what a reversal. Because Satan is trying to remove that from everything. Our national anthem was under attack just a short time ago where we, uh, we sing at Bethel Baptist Church, God keep our land. And whether that is politically correct or not, or whether that is the official version of the national anthem, we will continue to pray that prayer, God, keep our land glorious and free. They have taken prayer out of schools. They've taken the Bible out of schools. They've tried to erase God from everything. Mission accomplished. That is the first point of attack of Satan. In the beginning... God. Listen, Satan is not looking for agnostics who may come to the truth. Rather, he's striving to make every man an atheist. I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 1. I want you to see the second point of attack. I'm, I'm going to move quickly. I, I get preaching a little too much when I'm trying to introduce all five. Notice the second thing. It's just one more word. In the beginning, God created. That's the next point of attack, isn't it? What a bunch of foolishness that we see being propagated today in the name of science. I like what the Bible says in the New Testament, science falsely so called. I'm not against good science. 
I'm so glad that there are scientists that can help make our lives better through research and study and help us with different things. But if study, science doesn't line up with the Bible, it's not science. The Word of God is supreme. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created. The Bible accepts as fact that God's hand in creation was six literal days, evening, and morning. There's been a a long and slippery slope of Christians trying to mesh theory with the Bible. And friends, that's a fool's errand. That is simply human reasoning and not faith. Genesis chapter 1, we read... The story of creation, for the sake of time, I won't read the next 25 verses, but I encourage you to go home and read it again, that as God says it, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, and then rested on the seventh, that's exactly how it happened. Because God said it happened that way. It's interesting that a little while ago, somebody gave a report of an accident that they had witnessed. And they said, well, this person saw this, and they, they were looking this direction, and they, they missed that, and they ran into and gave all this description. And then the driver gave a very different description. And, he said, well, and the officer said, well, that's not what the witness said. He said, you were looking this way, and you saw this. And he says, how does he know what I saw? How does he know what I saw? I get tired of scientists saying, well, this is how it happened. How do they know what God saw? God did it. And so I'm going to trust what he has to say about it. In the beginning, God created. When the world begins to question, and by the way, this is more of a church question. When the, the people of God begin to question, we get theistic evolution. But when the world questions, we just get evolution. Listen to what Nehemiah said about it. Thou... Even thou art Lord alone, thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. Psalm chapter 19 and verse 1, and here's why I believe creation is under the attack of Satan. Here's why. Listen to this, Psalm 19, 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Listen, if anything declares God's glory and reveals to us the majesty of the King Most High, Satan hates it and will seek to destroy it. The heavens declare the glory of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 we already read. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. If Satan can dismiss the God created all things in six days, it takes away one of his witnesses of who he says he is. Creation points us to God. I want you to see the third point of attack. Look at Genesis chapter 1 in verse 26. Verse 1 through 25 gives us the days of creation. And here we come to the sixth day. Look what it says in verse 26. And God said... Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. That's the third point of tack. Let us make man in our image. Here's the truth. If you are created in the image of God, that makes you unique and special. But if you are the result of some evolutionary cosmic burp, you have no value. 
You came out of the ooze, and you returned to the ooze. I was at a funeral several years ago. It was actually Cody's cousin was killed drunk driving. Four young people out partying one night missed a curve, and they landed their car in the second story of a house. It was a deep ditch, and they went down and came up and were airborne. They said they believed they were doing about 130 kilometers an hour on a curve that is marked as 40 kilometers an hour. And they were killed, four of them instantly. I went to the funeral, and the, Cody's aunt is an atheist. You pray for her. She's had several near-death experiences, and we've tried to witness to her several times. I went to the funeral home, and I said, Sharon, we're praying for you. And she says, why? There's no God. Most people, even atheists, would say, well, thank you for thinking of us. I appreciate your concern, but not her. She was so angry about it. She got a minister by the name of Bish. His last name was Bish, David Bish. He was the minister of the United Church. Because she says, I don't want any mention of God. And so he did. And he said this, he said, you know, he says, millions of years ago, the stars formed. That's what he said. And he says, one day, stardust fell to the earth and we named it Eric. And now Eric has just returned to the stars. He said this. He says, that's not just stuffy religion, that's just good science. I thought, that's not even good science. I haven't even found a scientist that crazy that would say something so foolish. But he succeeded in not mentioning God the whole time. What a shame. But that's what happens when you don't believe that we are created in the image of God. You see, if you're not created in the image of God, you can go ahead and abort a little baby. You can rape or murder another human being. You can live for yourself because you are your own God. But to be created in his image reduce, means that we are accountable. But to say that we are not, it reduces the worth of man. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 6.19 What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. The Bible there, of course, is speaking to believers, right? Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth. But think about this. Even every unsaved person is a potential temple for the Spirit of God. God can dwell in them if they'll trust in Christ. That gives us value. That gives us worth. And so Satan has made that an attack from the beginning. We are nothing special. We are just something that crawled out of a cosmic burp. Some swamp back in the history of time. And we grew legs and we became a man. And there's no value to life. We are surrounded by it today with medical assistance in dying, euthanasia, time and time again. I was in a hospital several years ago. A fellow had had some surgery and it didn't go well. And they said, well, he's not going to make it. 
And I was kind of watching. I've been in rooms like that a lot of times over the years. I'm not a medical expert, but I've been in rooms a lot like that. And they said, how long do you think? And the nurse said, maybe an hour. There was no machines on the man whatsoever. They had taken them all off to let him die peacefully. His breath rate was consistent, 16 breaths a minute. His heart rate was 72 beats a minute consistently. His blood pressure was spot on. I'm watching the machines and I thought, how can she say maybe an hour? And I watched as every five minutes she upped the morphine until he slipped away. I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but it just seems so peculiar to me. Life is, has no value in our world today because Satan has attacked the very idea that we are created in the image of God and that we have value. This attack appeals to the sense of human autonomy. And the Bible describes it later on where it says, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I can be my own God. Notice the fourth point of attack we find in Genesis 1.27. Of course, I will expound upon that when we get to the message itself in a few weeks. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, here's the next one. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female. There's the next point of attack. Isn't it interesting that everything we're facing today is laid out in Genesis? God said, here's what I'm going to create. And Satan says, oh good, now i got something to attack. You ever heard somebody say that? I remember one time a preacher talking about a liberal politician in their area, and he said, we just wait to hear what he's for so we know what we're against. And that's all Satan has done. Whatever God is for, that's what I'm going to attack. Male and female created he them. There are only two genders. That's it. It's interesting to me, I've got thinking about this. When you drive 30 hours, you've got a lot of time to think. You know L, G, B, Q, T, all that? Do you know what the B stands for? It stands for bisexual. you know what the bi is short for? Binary. means two genders. They're not even consistent with themselves. They're all over the place in their, their, their ideas. But they profess that there's a group out there that believes, yes, I'll go with that gender or I'll go with that gender. But there's only two because the word is binary, which means one of two choices. But that's what God said from the beginning. There's only two genders. Never in my life have I seen it under attack like today. Now, it is possible that it's always been in the heart of man and technology has finally caught up. Were they able to do the surgeries on mass like they are today? And were they able to pervert little children like they are today? And, and friends, I saw a little political cartoon in the last few weeks and, and a, 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 a brand new baby is born, kind of struck close to home. And they hand that baby, they wrap that baby and they hand it to the parents. And the parents say, is it a boy or a girl? And the doctor says, we'll let the kindergarten teacher decide. There's so much truth in that little political cartoon. So sad what we're seeing today. Male and female created he them. Lines have been crossed. 
Look back, if you will, at Romans chapter 1. As we go through this study, we will see Romans 1 lines up perfectly with everything Satan is attacking. We'll just read two verses. Sorry, we'll read a couple anyway. Verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up. You say, what does it mean, gave them up? Did God initiate this? No. It means literally God let them have their way. This is what they wanted. And so God says, in judgment, I'll let you have it. Just do your thing. You'll find out how much it hurts. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, and they changed the truth of God into a lie. Verse 25, and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this God, for this cause, God gave them up unto the vile affections for even their women to change the natural use of that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the women burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. There's been a line that has been crossed. God created male and female. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy chapter 22, that the Bible warns against men dressing like women and women dressing like men. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that are do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. I shouldn't walk in here dressed like a woman. Women, you shouldn't dress like men. The Bible also warns of men becoming effeminate. Know ye not that the upright, unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. It is a life and death matter. To mean you will not inherit the kingdom of God means you go to hell. It's a life and death matter. Listen, parents. I, I say to my wife all the time, I am so thankful our kids are grown. Somebody said, when do you stop worrying about your kids? You don't. But I, 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 I struggle and wonder, how, how do people raise kids today? In this society... Parents, you've got to be constantly teaching. This is what a boy is. This is what a girl is. Boys like girls. Girls. When my, when my daughter Emily was little, I used to say to her, now you repeat after me, we hate boys. <laughs> I used to say that. Listen, I, I, I don't think I'd do that anymore. I don't think I'd do that anymore. That was a dad protecting his daughter, and she went off to Bible college, and she met a fellow that was, my son-in-law is 29 years old. He's four years older, four and a half years older than her. And she came home, and I said, what happened to this we hate boy? She goes, you never said anything about men. <laughs> but I don't think I'd even joke around like that anymore. This is a different day. We ought to be careful. Constantly, constantly remind your children. Teach them the things of God and show them what. Listen, they talk about toxic masculinity. Hey, be a man. Be a man. Good night. 
I'm going to get off preaching. Hold on. It gives me a broken heart to see how many of our kids are being deceived and hurt. Let me give you the last topic of our message series. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. Verse 21. Genesis 2, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. So we have a recounting of what happened on day six. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, male and female created he them. And now God is showing us how that happened. Verse 22, and the rib which the Lord God hath taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. The fifth point of attack is biblical marriage, the family unit. I'll bring you some statistics when we come to that message, but to, to think how staggering it is how many families are raising children alone without a dad or a mom in the picture, and not because of, of a death or something like that, simply because of irresponsibility. We don't have those figures in their life to help raise those children, but marriage has come under attack. And what, what are we seeing today about marriage? I remember back in 2005 where they uh, mandated in Canada or legislated in Canada that homosexual unions were okay and that we would go ahead and marry homosexual people. And a lot of the Christian community began to say, now listen, where is this headed? Pretty soon you'll be a mar- allowed to marry three or four women. Oh no, that'll never happen. It's happening every single day. It's happening every single day. When we destroy the very basics, listen, God only created three institutions, right? The human government, the church, and the family, the marriage. A husband shall leave his mother and his father and cleave to his wife. That's the biblical pattern. I was listening to a, another preacher, and, uh, and he, he was preaching. He was a, he was a black preacher, and he, sometimes black preachers can lay it down like nobody else can. I mean, I'm just telling you. And he said, he said, he was reading from Ephesians, husbands love your wives. He says, you know, you're not a husband unless you have a wife. And you're not a wife unless you have a husband. And he went through that passage. He kept saying, so, so you can't be a husband unless you have a wife. You can't be a wife Unless you have a husband. And he said, then he said this. He says, can you smell what I'm stepping in? <laughs> the only way he could say it. But well, we are stepping in a mess today. We need biblical marriages. You'll notice that around here, when I hear that somebody's been married a long time, we'll make a big deal about that. Congratulations, 50 years, 60 years, 73 years for the Spongs. Because we don't see it much anymore. Satan has attacked the marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. 
In Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 to 6, I haven't got time to turn there. In Matthew chapter 19, the Lord Jesus Christ said that from the beginning it was one man and one woman. That was marriage. So why are we in so much trouble today? Let me give you three things quickly. Number one, biblical illiteracy. The Spirit convicts and builds through the Word of God. Listen, this is not a world problem. The world's always going to act like the world. This is a church problem. We are to be the salt, and we are to be the light. And we have these things falling apart at alarming rates, even in the house of God. There was a discussion in the last couple of weeks, and they were talking about the, 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 the transgender and, and hurting children and all this stuff. And I, and I threw in a verse. I said, yeah, you know, and, and I threw in a verse about homosexuals, and they all just stared me down. Church-going people. Angry that I would suggest such a thing. I thought, oh boy, I didn't know it was that kind of church around here. We are drifting. We need to be biblically literate. The Bible says we have to be able to give an answer to every man. The second reason, I believe, is no spirit-filled living. Carnality. We begin to cater to the flesh and what feels good, and then eventually it's every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And when we give in to the flesh, we'll begin to accept the world's philosophies. Romans 1 was a process. It started with small things and built to much bigger. We must be careful. And then there's those who are not willing to take a stand or to contend for the faith. So many Christians today are more willing to accept than to fight. So how does Satan do all this? Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The Bible says, In the beginning God. Then it says, In the beginning God created. Then it says, male and female created he them. Then it says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife. The Bible says, let us make man in our image. Satan says, how can I attack all of that? I know. Yea, hath God said. I'll attack his word. That's where I'll start. If I can get them doubting what God really said, maybe one day they'll doubt God ever existed. If I can get them feeling good in their flesh and becoming their own gods and doing whatever they want without accountability, maybe they'll just turn away from God altogether and God calls it a reprobate mind. So Satan attacks the very word of God. Boy, if there was ever an indictment against Christians that challenges us. Boy, I'm going to read that even more now. Satan doesn't like that? I better be in it. I better learn it. I better eat it. I better breathe it. David says, I'm going to meditate therein day and night. It is is strength to my bones. Thy word. Let me give you one challenge and I'm done. Go home today and read Psalm 119. 
Every single paragraph starts with the word or thy testimonies are pure. Read, read the whole thing. It's a, it's a long book, but read it. It will help you understand why the word of God is so important. Let's pray today. Father, help us, Lord, as we go through this sermon series. I pray that you just speak to our hearts. And tonight, Lord, we're just going to talk about in the beginning, God. The very concept of the Lord and how Satan has attacked that very principle of Scripture. Oh God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we strive to speak truth with grace and love. And Father, it breaks my heart. You know, I, I, Lord, you have given man a free will. He can accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Or he can go and live his life how he wants. But God, it breaks my heart when they turn it on our children. Stealing the very seed of the gospel from their hearts. Oh God, I pray that you'd help us as Christian parents and grandparents to constantly be preaching and teaching our children and helping them come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But Lord, we have to model it before them. We can't just be Sunday Christians. Lord, help us to live our lives in honor and glory to you. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you, would you pray this morning? Maybe you got some kids and grandkids that need some prayer. Would you lift them up before the Lord? A week ago Wednesday, I met my new grandson, Bowden. And I took him in my arms. And when I had some quiet time with him, all by myself. They, can you believe they let Grandpa alone with that little guy? I prayed with him, and I sang, Jesus loves me. This I know. I told him, don't you ever forget Jesus loves you. It's just the start of a lifetime that we have to reinforce biblical truths and help the next generation come to Jesus Christ. There's a reason the Bible says go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's because they need it. They need Christ. Is there one here today say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. Can we help you today? I know it wasn't a gospel message per se, but I believe the, the good news starts in Genesis 1.1. It goes all through the Bible. Here's the good news from Genesis chapter 3 that a seated woman would be born to bruise the serpent's head. That's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who came to die and pay the price for the sins of the world. And you can be saved if you just believe today. Trust in him for eternal life. He said, what are they singing about when the storm, until the storm passes by? You, you won't understand until you have Jesus in your heart. By a matter of faith, you can trust him. Know his comfort and his presence today. Is there one say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved? Would you pray? Is there one?